0: You're listening to a Hindustan Times production, brought to you by HD SmartCast.
1: Hi, this is Manjula Narayan, National Books Editor, Hindustan Times, and this is the Books and Authors Podcast. It's a weekly podcast where I speak to authors who've got a new book out. For the listeners, I'm speaking to Siddharth Malia on his new book, If I'm honest, a memoir of my mental health journey. Hi Siddharth. Hi, uh, Manjula. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. So, just, a, just, uh, a, just, a,
0: just if I can say before we we start, um, yeah. Siddhartha with an A on the end.
1: Oh, you pronounce the whole Siddhartha.
0: You? Yeah. Okay, mm. great. It's just that no one ever does pronounce it like that because it's more of the it's more of the kind of uncommon version, right? Yes.
1: Uh, I mean, it's usually it's just Siddharth normally, but. Right? Hmm. That's the, the Sanskrit version, is Siddhartha, right?
0: Yeah, no, I do. And uh, yeah, so I'm trying to embrace it more. I'm trying to embrace it more. So, you know, okay, okay. But you go by Sid, do you? Or I go by Sid, yeah, I, although I credited myself with this book, um, Siddhartha. Yeah, and that, that's because it's
1: the name of the Buddha, right? Siddhartha. Originally. Is that
0: why or? Well, I mean that's a, that's my birth name. So I was, you know, I, I think I've gone by Sid a lot out in L.A. Um, and then I was like, you know what? Actually, said that there's a great name. So why not embrace the full full version of it? <laughs>
1: okay, uh, I can't imagine Americans finding it really easy to get their tongues around that though. But where? No, no, that, because mine's spelled S-I-D-H.
0: There's an H R T H A, right? Yeah. So they 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 say Sid. Partha, as if it's two separate <laughs> words. Uh, okay. That's the, that's how they say it.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. So, um, uh, you know, how, let's start with an easy question. You know, mm-hmm. how do you come to write, I mean, you've dealt with this in the book, but how did you, for the listeners, how did you come to write this book? What was the spark?
0: So back in, it would have been August 2019 would have been the one year anniversary of when I stopped drinking.
1: Okay.
0: And I remember on the on the day I put up a very brief Instagram post, you know, just basically saying that, hey guys, it's been one year since I stopped drinking. These are the reasons why I stopped. Uh, you know, I was never an alcoholic, but whenever I drank, whether it was one drink or 10 drinks, I'd get anxiety the next day. So I decided to stop. Um, just want to share my story with you in case this can resonate with someone else. And, you know, Manjula, I got thousands of messages back from people being like, oh, my God, we feel the same way. We can resonate, but we've never felt like that we could stop ourselves. But if you who obviously comes from a background that produces alcohol can stop drinking, then there's no reason we can't. And then I thought to myself, I was like, well, you know, if I could help so many people by just being so open about one issue, Maybe I could continue to help them if I started talking about some of the other things I've gone through. And that's where my series, Consider This, that I did online last year, was born from that. And then, again, the response to that was on another level. And I was like, you know what? I, I just felt a kind of a duty, if you like, to continue. I saw the impact I could have on people by being open and honest about mental health, particularly people in India, where, sad to say, it's still quite a backward subject. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I just was like, well, I, I almost feel a duty to continue doing whatever I can to shine a light on this. And the the next kind of um, obvious progression was a book. And what I decided when writing it was, you know it's not going to be a self-help book. This is not a self-help book. I I even say it. It's not a self-help. I'm not Deepak Chopra, Jay Shetty, you know, Eckhart Tolle. I'm not, I'm not trying to write something like that. Mm -hmm. What I realize is that what I can bring to the table is just my honesty. And like, hey, this is what I've gone through. You might have gone through the same thing as me. You might not have gone through the same thing as me, but you might be able to relate to something similar in your own life. And what I found was, A lot of the time, people aren't looking to be fixed. They don't want solutions. They don't want help. They just want to feel like they're not alone and that someone Mm -hmm. else has gone through something similar. And that's kind of a very long answer as to how the book came about, but also about why I wanted to write it in the sort of format that it's in.
1: Okay. And I can imagine it must have been difficult to write. I I was reading some bits of it, especially the the chapter on OCD, and I thought, oh, my (laughs) God, you know. Oh, uh, and you say it's difficult to write, but and it is actually a difficult chapter to write and to read as well. I mean, you know, because um, everybody has issues, and you know, OCD is not something that's uh, uh, that's not widespread, let's say. So, uh, you know, so I'm wondering how you explain it in the book, but how did you actually? How long did it take you to do that chapter? Because you deal with it very, very. It's very thought out
0: that chapter was it didn't take me too long that 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 chapter i I knew that chapter i knew the structure that chapter and the chapter on divorce were the two that i i, I clicked instantly I knew exactly how I was going to structure them. I think the divorce one because it was my first uh, sorry sorry not divorce depression, depression depression that was that was my that was my first consider this episode so I kind of had an idea of how I wanted to lead into the book Mm -hmm. and the OCD one I was very clear that whatever happens I want to take a little bit of time at the beginning to actually explain the illness because as as we know that it's, it's it's a very misunderstood condition that I don't think really gets the time of day that it deserves so I was very adamant on the OCD one before getting into my own story I'm going to actually explain what OCD is. And, you know, I did one of my consider this videos on OCD and I I'd always said to myself that in fact, I could have done an, ent- I could have done the entire consider this series just on OCD. I could have written yes. this whole book just, just on OCD, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so that's why I was, I was like, you know, it's important to talk about what it actually is, what it entails and then, Kind of what are the ones that have hit me the most? what sort of facets of OCD have, have, have impacted me the most?
1: Mm. Mm. but uh, I can you know things like scruple like you've you've mentioned exactly people kind of ha- now know a little bit more about OCD but you've been very specific about the kinds of OCD you know like yeah but I mean and I'll tell you the reason is is because scruple oCD OCD as
0: I write in the book is something that is plagued me for 30 years of my life. Mm. I didn't even know I didn't even know it was a bloody word till a year <laughs> and a half ago till I did you know what I mean like I didn't do I, until I did my work I'd never heard of the word scrupulosity I had actually I'd heard of scruples but you know in in, yeah. in the biblical sense right it's mentioned in the bible and mm. stuff like that. But <sighs> I, I never really put two and two together and Actually, it was only after finding out that oh my gosh, this is a legitimate part of OCD that I've been suffering with that it kind of took a big weight off my shoulders. And I was like, okay, well, then let me explain this in more depth. And the other the other thing with the OCD thing is I know a lot of Indians will will relate to this is superstition, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we are notoriously superstitious people in that's, that's true. I mean and, you know, there's one thing being like, don't cut your hair at night, or, you know, the, the ones which actually, if you don't look back, you know, don't cut your nails at night, which, you know, people used to tell me, and then if you think of it logically, you know, 200 years ago when there were no light bulbs, yeah. you know, you shouldn't be handling sharp objects at night. So it made sense. But um, so many of these of these issues, of these things, like, You know, I remember speaking to a pundit once, right? And I was about all of this, like, washing and cleaning before going into the puja room and stuff like this. And the pundit was like, where do you think, is this this in any scripture? I was like, no. He says, where do you think this came from? He said, it's because 500 years ago, 200 years ago, places of worship were communal places for people to meet. Mm. So they used to tell people you should have a bath and wash your feet and your hands to stop spreading disease. It had nothing to do with God or praying mm. Mm. and i think that you know i mean this all of this is so embedded into our culture that um it can it, it can have an effect on you when you start to believe that things could go wrong if you don't buy into these certain behaviors
1: mm. Mm. and I, that's I, why i wanted to really hit it hard and like explain mm. it yeah and, and that bit exactly like when you you know talk about going into the puja room and you know and not being able and wanting to wash yourself all the time, when because of the idea of pollution, I suppose, and displeasing uh, displeasing God and things like that, you know. Yeah. And that's that's very powerful. I thought that that whole bit was very powerful because a lot of people suffer from this, right? And um, I can imagine. Um, I, I can imagine. That resonating with a lot of people. So. I mean,
0: it, it's 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 one of those things, isn't it? It's a double-edged sword. Where I'm like, I hope it does resonate with a lot of people, but mm. similarly, I hope it doesn't resonate with a lot of people because I'd hate to think there of people who have suffered like that, like I have. Like you don't want to know that others have suffered. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, it was it was it, it was hard and. Um, I wanted to get to come across in a way. what's funny though, I will say this to you is that I read um, in my acting studio here. um, I read a few excerpts of the book out to people because I think it's always good to read it to people who don't know you and people who come from different walks of life as well. I read a bit on the OCD and on the scrupulosity. And a lot of my classmates were like, we can relate in our own way. And my acting coach is, he was brought up by nuns. And he says, Catholicism is the exact same thing. Is you are going to hell if you don't do this, this, and this. And he says it really puts it in your head. Um, And he says I can I can fully relate to what you're saying in in regards to what you went through. And this is someone from a completely different religion. Grew up in, you know, he's an he's an Italian origin guy from Boston who grew up in (laughs) Catholicism. Could still draw parallels with what I was saying. Mm. okay
1: that's it's kind of scary scary also you know yeah <laughs> mm. and I was thinking you know and, and bits about uh you being in boarding school and, and shutting the door so many times and you know <laughs> I, I can imagine you like a, a lot of the other boys really thought what the hell is happening why is he doing this or they just accepted you for who you were because i I guess when you're all living together, and just think, oh, my God, this is one of his quirks. Yeah, well, I mean, I've, it, it, as I said in the book, it pissed a lot
0: of people off and, and I was made fun of. I was teased. Um, and quite rightly so. Like if someone else was doing that, I probably would have done the same thing. Right. I mean, y- 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 that, that's what I mean, is that now I wonder, like, if, if if they knew what I was going through, if they knew that you know, I mean, to be honest, it probably wouldn't have made any difference when you're that age, fifteen years old. Mm. You care about these sorts of things, but I myself didn't know why I was doing it. So for them seeing this kind of behavior, it would have been like, "What is this?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but I, I guess you know, I mean, um, this must have been the '90s, right? Maybe I'm ho- hoping people, you know, schools are more evolved now. And I've
0: today they up. are. To, to, today, without a doubt, they are. I mean i'm talking yeah i'm talking about early 2000s late 90s early 2000s where pff, mental health and well-being was not definitely not something that was prioritized mm. now yes now it is in schools in the uk it's it's definitely got the um, you know i have two younger cousins who one of them's just left boarding school to go to university and the other one's still there and Um, their dad is actually my first cousin, so he's a little bit older. And he was telling me he's like one of his son's classmates went through depression and was on antidepressants and would openly talk about it, And which which at the age of 16 is beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) That shit wouldn't... Excuse my language. I'm not sure if I should be saying this in this (laughs) podcast. But that just would not have existed back in my day. And I'm only 34. I'm not that old. Yeah, you're Um, not. But... (laughs) but that but do you see what i mean that's how far the world has come in a very relatively short period of time but there's still a, a long way to go
1: yeah and then there's also the shame associated with mental you know health issues and stuff which i think is now now much less i mean back then it was it was such a taboo I, you know either you there was the the there were no divisions either you were mad or you were sane I, you know it was something like that i guess so Yeah, I mean, a
0: hundred percent. That's it. Like you know, you said anything to do mental health basically meant first thing that comes to your mind is asylum. Yeah, (laughs) I mean that that, that's it. It was black or white thinking, like as you said.
1: Hmm. Okay. So, you know, and I'm thinking that going through this, coming to India, where you know you didn't grow up here, and you grew up in a, a far freer sort of environment I'm guessing from the book so to come come to a place where you know there are lots of expectations of you even if you're not a celebrity or even if you're not the son of whoever you are you know there are lots of expectations so how did you deal with that you know
0: with difficulty like I said in the book like like um I think you know there was obviously that added pressure of coming from a family that was fairly well known Mm -hmm. and Sort of being thrust into a spotlight from getting off the plane, um, and I, I think it's great. Like you know, I, I I don't think you can really appreciate something till you're in it. Everything's a nice concept, right? Until you experience it. Mm-hmm. And I think I was just hit with so much so soon. Like moving country, moving. So, you know, when I say moving country, it's like you move into the you move from England to the US. It's still relatively. Same culture, right? It's not mm. not that you <laughs> Moving from the UK to India, it's it's a it's a big change. Yes, big change. Everything's different, um, and that on top of the fact of you know the surname that I came with and all everything that was thrust upon me because of that, it, it was definitely was overwhelming. And I, I certainly didn't have the depth that I have today, I guess, to even recognise this or or accept this. So I just dealt with it in the way that I thought I knew best how to, which was to put up a guard and
1: operate through ego like many young 20-year-olds do. Mm. The expectations of being, I mean, you've spoken about it in the book, the expectations of being the son of Vijay Malia in India must have been um, huge. But I was really impressed by how, when you finally decided Uh, you know that this is not what you want to do and you told your father and he accepted it you know and that that kind of that that's surprising and it's unusual and you said that as well so let's talk about that
0: yeah I mean I think I think credit needs to be given where it's due right and um, full credit to him for dealing with it in the way that he did like I say in the book it can't have been easy your only son telling you that hey i'm not interested in your legacy (laughs) it can't have been easy but you know credit to him and as i said in the book he he said it he said you know do what makes you happy and um yeah I, i i think that a lot of for a lot of people in their families that conversation would have gone a very different way
1: yes yes and, and you don't even have to have a huge empire and, you know, great business. No, 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 if not at all. So. You know, even if it's a small business, I don't think parents usually are that that open, you know, so Indian parents at least. So that's a great thing. And um, so, but had you decided that you wanted to, how much thought, you know, you, you said in the book that when you moved to India, it was a split second decision. You just decided, okay, I'm moving but clearly this thing about you leaving the you know uh, setting out on your own and you know doing what you want to do was not such a split second decision
0: no it had, it had been definitely brewing in me in a while to want to do something different um what that was i'm not i wasn't quite sure but then it was it was definitely i just felt like i had a lack of freedom to be to express myself in my way. And I think that's what really played on my mind.
1: And how did you decide
0: on acting, moving to L.A.? Well, L.A., the reason is I was born here. So I'm an American citizen. So moving to Los Angeles, you know, I didn't have to go through any issues of getting visas or anything. And acting is always something that I, I enjoyed and, like, I just saw... I saw the freedom people had doing it, and the freedom to express themselves and to play, and to, you know, all the things that kind of sid as Sid's soul is. I'm just a child that wants to connect to people and play and like human connection to me, and that's where acting sort of gave me that. Okay. Hmm.
1: And and then you went and joined drama school, you said, right? And mm-hmm. we,
0: yeah, a few years after in the UK. Yes. Okay.
1: Uh, talk about that
0: and what it what what it taught you. I mean that that was great. It was it's, you know it's one of the world's best drama schools. I mean, British tra- classical drama training, it it's it opens you up, it's a full sort of body approach, movement, dance, voice, everything. And and it basically rebuilt me. <laughs> um, I'd been conditioned in a way, okay. Think of it like this, like of an Indian origin divorced parents only child who went to boarding school when he was 10 years old there was a god that that had been and I obviously I'd lived in India for two years as well so that year in drama school really helped lower that god
1: Mm. and helped
0: me to really sort of connect with me if that makes Mm. sense
1: yeah, it makes sense. Uh, and what I found remarkable was, you know, when I was reading the book, it's quite funny. Is that I read that bit about what you said about, you know, um, about, and I've written uh, in the margins what you said about your time in India. And I said, this is like the the, the opposite of eat, pray, love. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of Western people come to India to find themselves uh, and to have a, you know, I don't know, a spiritual life. And, And all that thing. And this seems like... And and this is thing that a lot of Indians do, by the way. So, uh, you know, moving away to find themselves.
0: I just find... What I find funny about India, I was having this chat with someone the other day, is that we are the motherland of spirituality. Yeah. Yet we are so backwards when it comes to mental health that it just doesn't add up. Hmm. You know, I, I think people realize... I don't think people realize mental health spirituality, it, it all goes hand in hand. Yes, right. Yeah. Yoga is a meditation. It's a form of well being. It's also a form of exercise, and it's a form of mental health. Uh, we we are the motherland of all of this. People come to India. Uh, they end yoga sessions in in LA by saying Namaste. Right. Yeah. I mean that that, that literally we are the motherland of this. Yet. But even to it's not just with mental health there are so many and i don't want to get too into this now because you know I mean, this is its own conversation but it's just that the motherland of spirituality and yet some of the views in india on a number of different things are so backwards that it just doesn't make sense to me
1: mm. this whole thing about and maybe, you know, I didn't think about it as well uh, either. So when you're, when I was reading your book, I was thinking, oh, okay. You know, this thing about people kind of resenting you for, uh, for being who you are, you know, and bringing that up constantly. Like you saying, like you said that some customs officer or somebody at the airport said, oh, yeah, is yeah. Is out. And, you know, things like that and how that can be hurtful as well. You know, people, I think people don't see uh, the see more privileged people as having feelings. Perhaps, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I say that in the book, right? I think I think there's a there's definitely a a, a point of view amongst the masses, which is well, if you come from perceived privilege, you cannot suffer. It, it's, it's suffering is only related to those Who don't have things from a material point of view If you come from things From a financial background that's stable Or whatever, then you, you, you don't suffer You can't, it's not that you, you You don't have the right to suffer It's that you can't suffer
1: mm-hmm.
0: And and you know, I'm sure that, that Customs official, maybe he said that With scorn, right, maybe he was Bitter Maybe he just thought he was being funny And making a joke <laughs> But I think, uh, yeah. But I, but but I mean, but I mean, but I mean, like, um, I don't think people, you know, it feels like if you're from a background that is privileged, right? You're automatically the villain. Mm. Mm. Everyone, we love the underdog. Why do the underdog story always work?
1: Mm. Okay. So you 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 think that uh, people often took, do- Pot shots because of this sort of mentality
0: yeah and it's you know you, you you people don't want to know you for you they just want to see who you come from and it's always like well you only got this you're you're, you're only so and so because of your so and so's son you're this and you're that like mm-hmm. and it's automatically that no matter how much you try and, and do yourself like it'll always be pulled back to that
1: mm. So, so in a sense, uh, your move, you know, your, your striking out is also a statement of how, how you reject that sort of thinking, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, we we, we can't, we shouldn't judge anyone based on where they come from,
1: mm. right?
0: We, we're very good to not judge, we don't want to judge the people who come from nothing. Either you're told to be nice and to be, com- you know, you're it, it, supposed to respect everyone, right? Except if someone is perceived to have come from some sort of privilege, they're not to be respected. It's, it's like, it's just that mindset, which is like, I, I, everyone needs to, and I say this in the book, this is the main point in the book, whether you're rich, poor, male, female, black, white, Muslim, Hindu, Christian, Indian, Chinese, American, mental health doesn't discriminate. So, we need to get past that notion that certain people cannot suffer. And in fact, we all can, because ultimately we're all human beings and we're all built the same
1: way. Mm. Mm. Okay. And I I found what you said about trolling also very illuminating. About (laughs) how, you know, talk about that about how people think that they can say anything and that it doesn't affect the other person. But that's not true. It isn't. We all know it it? Yeah, because it's like,
0: it's like, and this again is the way the world is, right? Again, this is not something that I ever had to deal with. It's not something you ever had to deal with growing up. That Instagram and all this stuff didn't exist, right? Mm, Yeah. If you wanted to say something to someone, you had to go and say it to their face. Like that was the only way to do it. Well, today, I think people, because people, as I say, can get their opinion across by the click of a button, they forget that whatever they're commenting on, video, picture, or whatever, isn't a product. There's there's, there's a a real tangible human being behind that. Yes. And I think that gets missed. Mm. And also because those people, the trolls, can hide behind their computer screens. Yeah they they think that they almost can get away with saying what they want without there being consequences which is just not true.
1: Mm. Mm. And it's um, it's good that you've like kind of learned how to deal with it. I mean a lot of us don't know how to deal with it except to, like block it out or not go online. But like, you you said that you uh, deal with it by being positive in return. So
0: yeah, I
1: mean, it's it's like I I'll be honest with you now right? Okay, because well, we're we're talking
0: candidly. It's like even the press at times, there are certain journalists that will write gossip about public figures because they know it's going to sell their magazine or their newspaper or whatever it is.
1: Mm-hmm. The journalist
0: knows in their heart of hearts that what they're writing is nonsense, mm. but but it sells. And I think sometimes people forget that public figures are still real people and human beings. And while that article might amuse 10,000 of your readers, the person you're writing it about is still going to suffer having to see that written about them. Mm. And I think that we sometimes forget that about people, right?
1: Yeah. Okay, and that that reminds me of your grandmother and, you know, uh, her getting affected (laughs) by food and, and things like that. I can imagine it must be tough going through what you guys are going through as a family right now. So I think it's hard. I think it's hard because, you know, like from,
0: from my point of view and from her point of view, you don't want to see any loved one suffer, right? So mm. even whether it's me seeing a parent suffer or from her point of view, seeing her son suffer, you're going to feel bad seeing someone in your family or someone you care about going through something.
1: Mm. Yes. And, and, and your relationship with your, you know, the, let, let's talk about the divorce. I mean, I, that must, be a, that must have been difficult. I mean, I could read between the lines. I mean, divorce is kind of difficult for children, right? So, but do you think, like, mental health issues? I mean, you have mental health issues even when you when your parents are divorced. So you know, No, like 100%. A, yeah, yeah. I
0: don't think they're family. concerned, but I still, but I think there are specific ones that came from the back of the divorce, which I say in the book, like issues of loneliness and abandonment and stuff like that. And I, I never at the age, like I said in the book, probably didn't appreciate the impact it was having. My grandmother always used to say to me that she said, you went through a trauma. And I was like, Oh, what do you mean trauma? Like, you know, I, I always thought trauma is what soldiers go through when they go to war. Right. Without realizing that. um, And then I was like, yeah. And then, and then as I got older, I realized I did go through a trauma. Like, you know, just the mere fact of having to split my holidays between two different sets of families and, not really having stability and having this set of half-sisters and stepbrothers and sisters who all lived together, and I didn't live with them, and I was coming in, and I was going out, and I was seeing my dad suddenly with two new daughters, and I wasn't living with them, and there was a new woman in his life. It's like, oh, actually, thinking back on it, I was like, yeah, that was a a lot of process (laughs) at a
1: fairly young age. yeah. But uh, but as an adult, I mean, your relationships with your siblings, your half-siblings, are okay now?
0: Or? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're adults, so we are uh, as close as we're going to be, I think, given the fact that we just didn't, you know, we, we missed out on, or at least I missed out on that bonding period with them growing up, simply because I didn't live with them.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it must have been a shock to suddenly discover the existence. I, mean, I thought that was a shocking bit, you know.
0: Yeah, that was surprising <laughs> from what yeah. I can remember.
1: Yeah, for, I mean, whatever, 10-year-old or 11-year-old to suddenly realize. And you mentioned it, saying that you suddenly realized that you weren't the only child of your father. I suppose. that's That's a big deal. So, yeah. I, I guess it's a lot to uh, lot to deal with, but I also liked how you have, um, you know, you have this uh, empathy for your mother, you know, and suddenly the realization that what she lost also was great, right?
0: Yeah, empathy is one of the big things that has come out of the work that I've done, which is, and I'm not saying that we're not going to be wronged by people, and you know, I'm not saying we should give people a free pass to misbehave mm-hmm. in life. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's always worth, and I think the world could do a lot better at this, just you know, with everything that's going on. It's always worth putting yourself in someone else's shoes and trying to see it from their point of view. Even if, I'm not saying you have to agree with them. Mm-hmm. But 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 look at it from that point of view, being like, okay, why is so-and-so saying what they're saying or doing what they're doing? And it kind of sometimes does give you a bit of clarity. And the, the thing that really hit me, it was like it was like this aha moment it was during writing the book, I spoke to my mum and I was like, I just, you look at your parents, right? Our parents are always going to be adults to us. No matter how old we get, they're going to be adults. Yes. And I'm 34 years old. I'm not married. I have no kids. I was already, I would have been two when my mom was 34. Mm. Right. So she would have already had a two-year-old by the time she was my age. And in another couple of years, she would have already been divorced. And I was like, it just hit me. I was like, She was, I still think I'm a child. And (laughs) she was only a couple of years older than what I was today getting divorced. And I was like, wow, that really put it into perspective for me.
1: Hmm. Hmm. But through this or through it all, though, I mean, though, okay, the divorce and you know the other family, you're you're very um your relationship with your father and the way you talk about him, there's a lot of love there. And you know, it's not like it's not resentment. And he no, comes it's not. Him. He comes across well. <laughs> he does, despite, you know, I mean, despite like the divorce and despite the other family and everything. from You yeah, talk about him, I he learned, doesn't come across as a bad person.
0: And I, no, 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 no. I don't think, and I think that was part of my growth and my learning since I started doing my mental health is I think that I, I obviously harbored a lot of resentment towards a lot of people, hmm. perhaps without even realizing it. Um, but then since I'd started doing my work and becoming empathetic and looking at it from other people's perspectives, I was like, OK, right, I might not agree with X, Y and Z. But I can actually now understand potentially
1: why it played out the way it did. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. I, I, and you're saying that's where therapy helped or, you know, talk about therapy. therapy. Therapy has
0: been great. Therapy was, I mean, therapy has been great because they really helped me get to the root of a lot of my things. And mm-hmm. therapy is only great. I, I'm a big believer in that. Therapy is one thing, but you got to get the right therapist. Because <laughs> it's it's one, yeah, because it's one of those things where it's like, it's like, um it's, it's kind of like interviews like this right mm-hmm. you're only going to get as much out of me as you're giving me right it's a two-way thing like yes. the interviews are only as good as how much the person's willing to give you yes and it's the same thing with therapy as that you're more likely the therapist could only give you as much as you're willing to open up mm. and you're more than likely only going to open up to someone you feel comfortable with yeah. So finding right. the right therapist is, is is key. That was certainly my experience with it.
1: Hmm. But often, I mean, you know, people have horror stories even with therapists. You know, uh, with therapists being kind of negative and, and stuff like that. So, uh, like you said, you have to go through many therapists, right? So, what did you learn from that process? I mean, I went I, I I through. It. I, yeah, and I, I would I would
0: hate to think that people are negative. In their approach, I just like the first lady I went to just didn't resonate with me, um, mm. and the the lady that I see now, who I mentioned in the book, she's just fantastic because she listens, she guides me, and she it's an approach that she knows works for me. Mm. She knows I'm someone who likes to talk. I'm someone who likes to think in analogies. I like to do stories. She she goes and she she goes with it because she knows how to get the best out of me. Um, okay. And I'd, I'd also just say for anyone listening to this now that, and I heard, I just have to say this, I don't know if this is correct, but I heard some horror statistic that there is 4,000 licensed therapists in the whole of India. 4,000? That's it. For a country of 1.4 4 billion people.
1: Think.
0: Yeah. Well, well, you think it's less? Yeah, it's probably less. I mean, I, I don't. No, I mean, that that's even worse, right? But I mean, that's that that's that's really problematic. Um, but I would say that you know, with with therapy, um, I, I'd ask yourself certain questions when you're looking for a therapist. Like, um, certain people are drawn to certain personalities, right? For whatever reasons. Um, I some people love the tough love approach. Some people like more nurturing approaches. Some people, you know, people deal with people in different ways. Now, I, for whatever reason, I don't know why, maybe because I was brought up by my mother, I've always resonated more with the females in my life. Um, The female presences, like my teachers at school, have always been the ones to get the best out of me. So that's why a female therapist was always something that I was going to um, gravitate towards. Mm. Okay.
1: Okay. And, you know, at at the end of the book, you have um, have a series of points that to help people with who think about them and who are dealing with mental health um, issues, I suppose you know the the kind of checklist. Mm. So let's 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 talk about that and you know how you put it down and what you expect you know a reader to get from that. For
0: sure, I think that that last chapter was was for a couple of things. One was just to say, hey, these are my personal experiences and these are tried and tested things that I've done that I can vouch for. Mm they may not work for you. And I, I make that point clearly that, look, you've got to find what works for you. Not everything is going to work for everyone, right? Mm. Um, but the other reason why I put a lot of that down is because apart from really therapy, everything that I've mentioned is free of cost or at very little cost, right? Yes. Because, you know, getting workbooks, going running, going for walks, playing with pets, reading books. And I think that a lot of people think, which which is right, therapy can be very expensive, and medication can be expensive. And as a result of that, it can um, be a sort of barrier to entry, if you like, for some people. Hmm. But what I wanted to show is that there are other ways to help yourself beyond just therapy and medication. And there are ways that you can help yourself on a daily basis that everyone can do for no cost. That was kind of one of the main things why I wanted to put that in there as well.
1: Okay. Okay, and I like the bit that you thanked your your dog, you know. I was (laughs) like, you mentioned it. It's really nice because dogs really do, I mean, pets in general. I mean, looking after a, a pet, you know, can save you, I guess. So yeah and definitely that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no it is its he's 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 been a handful but a good one
1: <laughs> okay and on that note I think we can end for the listeners uh go out and get um Siddharth Siddhartha Siddharth, Malia right Siddharth, <laughs> Siddharth, Mallya, <laughs> yeah Siddharth, yeah if I'm honest a memoir of my mental health journey so it's very um it's it's an interesting read and it's um it can actually help people. I I really do believe that, you know, you've written it in such a way that it can help people who, you know, who are... You I hope so.
0: And that's my main thing for your listeners. Um, Just to give a little bit of a plug, you can go and pre-order it now on Amazon or it will be in stores in India from from this Monday, the 27th. But yeah, it's just, you know, if you think and even if it's not something that you might resonate with if you think there's a friend of yours who could benefit from reading it please do spread the word because at the end of the day all I want to get with this book is to try and help as many people as possible and if it can help one person feel less alone in the world then then it's a success so yeah that's nice
1: okay great great uh, talking to you Sid (laughs) (laughs) let's say Sid let's say Sid let's Let's keep Sid (laughs) Great talking to you, Sid. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Thanks <laughs> so much.
0: This was a Hindustan Times
1: production brought to you by HT Smartcast.
0: HT Smartcast.